All right, standing on the word, Luke 8, 22 through 25. Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples, Jesus, and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. So Jesus had been going through the countryside, preaching and teaching in their cities and villages, bringing them the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, he was in the region of Galilee, which was the region of uh, the, the Jews, uh, actually the northern region. Um, and so afterwards, he decided, and I've been to, to Israel before, there is this, this lake. They call it a lake, but it's the Sea of Galilee. Doesn't look all that big, but apparently it's five to seven miles across. Or, or and and uh, but it, when you look at it from a distance, it looks just like about that big. <laughs> so afterwards, he wanted to go to the other side of the lake. On the other side of the lake was the country of the Gadarenes, and those weren't Jewish people; those were Gentiles. So this is where we pick up our text, and it's important to note that the subject of the chapter and what Jesus was teaching concern the Word of God. Because uh, I believe it was just prior to this, he taught the parable of the, sow, the sower and the seed. He said the seed is the Word of God, uh, Luke eight eleven through 15. The seed is the Word of God. <clears throat> Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> then the devil comes and takes away the Word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the Word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. The ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it. What are they keeping? The word. And bear fruit with patience. That's this this. This translation, uh, another translation actually says what I think we would understand better with perseverance or with endurance, okay? Because sometimes we think patient as being, I'm not going to get mad, I'm not going to get mad, but it's actually persevering, it's enduring, it's continuing on uh, while you're holding on to the work. And then in Luke 8, 16 through 18, also in that chapter, no one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel, puts it under a bed, but puts it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be made known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear. What are you hearing? The word of God. For whoever has, to him more will be given. Whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. So the central concern of Jesus' interpretation of the tale of the sower has been uh, how one hears. Having established the norms of hearing by which to determine authentic discipleship, Jesus continues on in the chapter along the same lines by insisting that authentic hearing and also inauthentic, although grounded in one's heart, is really manifest in the way people behave. What do you do with the word that you've heard? You see, we tend to think that when I've heard the word and I've given mental assent to it, that says I've heard it, I acknowledge it, I got it checked off in my mind, I understand the subject, that we've got it. But no, Jesus is teaching us that you only got it when you do it. Right? 
Because there's, there's, you really, until you do it, you're not going to get it. You get it by doing it, but you, when you do it, you get it. Okay, it's kind of a, there's a cycle there. It kind of goes back and forth. All right, so for whoever has, to him more will be given. So Jesus argues how one has heard, how one who has heard the word of God, how one has heard the word of God. Let me see, I don't see how, I must have written this wrong. How one has heard the word of God cannot be hidden, but eventually will manifest itself. Okay, how one has heard, I should have put that in parentheses. How one has heard the word cannot be hidden, but it will manifest itself either in practices appropriate to God's people or in a failure to do so. So in other words, uh, what did you hear? This is what I heard. Well, let's see whether or not you really did or not. Because I'll know and you'll know by how you live your life whether or not you really did give heed to the Word of God. Basically what he's saying. All right? Then we keep going on in this chapter, and we'll get back to the text here in a minute. It says in Luke 18, 19 through 20, Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God. They could have stopped there, but he didn't stop there. He said, Those who hear the word of God and do it. So he didn't say, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God. He said, my mother and my brothers, in other words, those who are part of my family are those who hear my word and those who do it. Now, I went through all this so that you would understand the context of Jesus' teaching in this chapter is the word. Now, how many of you realize that Jesus is the word? John 1 and 1 says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Well, you said Jesus is the word. Well, thank you for bringing it up, John 1 and 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, context, the word of God. Jesus, the word of God, is teaching the Word of God, and He's teaching the importance for the Word of God to be fruitful in your life. It's not just hearing it. You've got to hear it, but hearing it isn't really uh, uh, accomplishing what it's going to do until you give heed to it, until you do it. Okay? Then we get to our text. This is all part of why it's important. It's important to where we're going. It's important to understand what we want to glean from our text. So the first point we want to look at is the Word Revealed. So Luke 8, 22 through 25 says, again, now it happened on a certain day. He got with, in a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out, but as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came. They were filling with water, and you know the story. They came to him, we're, we're, we're perishing, we're perishing. He woke up, he rebuked the storm. And he says to them, where is your faith? Right? So in our text, Jesus, the Word, gives a word to his disciples. He tells them, we're going to the other side of the lake. Let us go is actually an, uh, what do you call that? It's not an interrogation. It's an imperative. It is not a suggestion. It's a nice way of saying, we're going to do this. Right? So it's a command. So uh, he tells them, not as a suggestion, but as a directive, let's go to the other side of the lake. What did the disciples do? They did what a good disciple should do. They followed Jesus' instructions. They got into the boat, and they went 
out into the sea, launched to go do what Jesus said, to go to the other side. Matthew 7, 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And yes, I'm just constantly going to hit this, hit this, hit this again, and again, and again, because this is where the church has suffered for so long. We hear the word of God, but if we did a fraction of what we heard, we would be much more powerful than we are now. Right? Luke eleven twenty eight. But he said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it, do it. James 1 and 2, 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Okay, so Jesus gives them a command. Let's go to the other side. They begin to do the command. They begin to do the word that they were given. You know, what am I supposed to do? This is what the word says. Let's do the word of God. But when they get in the boat to go to the other side, we would get in a car, we would get on a plane, we would, whatever we would have to do, but their mode of transportation was a boat. Then when they get in, all of a sudden, something was trying to prevent them from doing the word. Reminds me of uh, the, just a little while ago, we read the text uh, in the chapter a little prior to this where Jesus said, and some seed was sown on uh, uh, rocky soil. And I think it says in Matthew, when affliction and tribulation arose because of the word, it began to wither away, began to dry up, right? So what happens? What do we learn from that? Uh, and what we're going to learn from this is that anytime the word of God is given and anytime Jesus is leading you to do something, the enemy's always going to challenge that word. And many times we have this expectation two plus two is four, right? And it is. But in the kingdom of God, there is uh, uh, principles, there is uh, ways of living life, but it's often two plus persecution, affliction, two plus time, perseverance, endurance equals four. But if you, you only have two and you're not willing to go through the patience, the windstorms, whatever the case may be, and you don't get to the next two and you drop out then, you're not going to see the completion of what God said. Because we don't understand that that is everything. We live in a very instant society. You put money in. Um, in fact, I, I was reading, uh, watching a, an ad the other day that said, um, you, if you go with this certain people online, you can even, when you do direct deposit, you can even get your check three days earlier. I mean, seriously, that's what they said. You can get your check three days earlier, you know. And um, so, you know, because we like instantaneous. But in the kingdom of God, remember the good seed? 30, 60, and 100 fold uh, for those who hear, heard the word of God and persevered, endured. They held it in their heart, but they endured. They persevered. Patience is the way New King James says it, probably the way King James uh, says it as well. But they continued to remain steadfast until the seed produced fruit. Or hear what I'm saying? Something uh, was trying to prevent them from getting to the other side. That brings us to our second point. The word of God resisted. Luke 8, 23. But as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water, 
and we're in jeopardy. Now, many times what will happen is when the Word of God is given to you and you begin to do it and you begin to face, uh, 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 it looks like the very opposite of what Jesus said to do, the very opposite of what we're supposed to happen, it seems like Jesus is silent. You're praying, God, you said this is going to happen and nothing's happened. Why? And, and it seems like there's silence. You think, why is there silence? Well, I'm just trying to give context to they're going through this windstorm, and guess who's sleeping in the boat? Jesus, right? Now, listen, I, I read this one time, and I think uh, it will help you a little bit. Now, how many of y'all, I would think all of us graduated at some point, you know, school, um, if we're not all uh, high school graduates, we got to certain measure, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, whatever the case may be, but we all had the opportunities to take tests, right? So all of us like open book tests, but none of us like closed book tests, unless you're like me, and I always did well on tests, so I, I actually like tests, you know? Um, <clears throat> but if that's not your experience, you can get a sense of angst, a little bit of terror, you know, what's going to happen. Um, and what happens, the teacher comes in, maybe you're not ready for it, you didn't know. And what they do, he said, close your books, we're about to take a test, all right? And, or maybe, maybe it's the, 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 the midterm, maybe it's the final. So what happens, they give you the test, and while you're taking the test, you find an a-, a question, I mean, you find a, a, a test question that you don't have an answer to, and you're trying to ask the teacher a question. You want to ask the teacher a question, but if you tried to do that, what are you going to get? Why? Because you're in the middle of a test. So sometimes we think God doesn't care. Sometimes we think God's not paying any attention to us or where are you, God? But the reality is he's watching you the whole time, but you're in the middle of a test. So you've got to let the test play itself out. I don't know about you, but I've failed a lot of tests. And guess what happened? The Israelites went through a lot of tests in the desert, right? Failure. Failure, failure. So what happens? You go around the mountain another time. You go around the mountain another time because God's pretty patient. He's got all eternity. <laughs> the, only ones that, the only ones that have a shortcoming on time is us. But you know what? You fail the test, go around. You're going to take it again, right? You're, you're going to, these are, these are, this is not, hey, you failed. You're going back. You don't ever come back. No, you're going to consistently because God wants you to move forward. And there are things that we have to learn in life. So Jesus is asleep in the boat, okay? So um, as I already said, the word of God will not remain opposed to the challenges of the enemies of our souls. And here we, they're going to, to do the word. They're doing what Jesus said. Jesus is asleep in the boat, and there's this windstorm seeking to prevent them from accomplishing what Jesus said to get to the other side. Now, <clears throat> the, the reason that we're being challenged is because there is an enemy. Genesis 3 and 1, remember the very first command God gave to the very first humans that he created, Adam and Eve. He said, do not eat from the fruit of this tree, lest you surely die. Then all of a sudden, what shows up in Genesis 3 and 1? There comes an enemy to challenge what God has said. Now, was God unaware of this? No, God actually set the test up. 
He put two trees in the garden. He put a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he put the tree, uh, uh, I mean, uh, and the tree of life, right? So you eat from one, you live forever, you eat from the other one, and what happens? The day that you eat of this, you shall surely die. Now, he only had one command. It reminds me of, of uh, I was reading an illustration of, a, of, a, of uh, how uh, there were two cars in the state of New Jersey when they first started building cars. The state of New Jersey, not the town of New Jersey, the village of New Jersey, but the state of New Jersey. There were two cars, and they got in an accident, <laughs> which was where the first insurance company was born. No. Anyway, um, <clears throat> but what happened was there was two trees, one command, but there was an enemy, all right? Now, here's this. Adam and Eve hadn't, didn't have a sin nature. Everything was weighed in their favor. God, this was like uh, if you could have an open book test and everything was available, they had it. But here comes an enemy. The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. Genesis 3 and 1, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So what's he trying to do? To violate the command, to fail the test, to quit, to do something different other than what God has said. Remember the point of what we're doing here. What we're learning is the importance of the Word of God in doing what God said and recognizing that the Word of God, even from the very beginning, even from Genesis chapter 1 and onward, you're going to find that when God gives a command, when God gives a word, it's, it's, there is an enemy that seeks to challenge it. The problem is he doesn't always come looking like a devil with a pitchfork and with two things on his head and a tail and a sign that says, I'm the devil. Sometimes it looks like a windstorm. Sometimes it looks like a, it looks like a, a, you know, a person, you know, that's an authority that is denying you something. And you have to ask yourself, you know, um, what am I going to do? Jesus said, if this, I will do this, and I'll do this, and take care of this. This is going to happen. But it seems like everything that I've done when I tried to do the Word of God has gone backwards. It's gone awry. It's not what Jesus said. Maybe uh, the Word of God for me is not what God said. Maybe what God said then this is what the enemy wants us to get to a place, is not necessarily true. John 10 and 10, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. The Bible says about the Lord, Jesus himself said, but I have come that you may have life. And he doesn't want you just to have life. He wants you to have abundant life, a good life, a f life filled with joy, peace, uh, 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 life filled with uh, 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 all that God created us to enjoy. And it was the enemy that wants to steal that from us. So I'm back to our text. We see that the windstorm appears and was trying to sink the disciples. What it was trying to do was pre prevent the disciples from completing the command, the word that had been given. By the way, if you read the whole context of the passage, we can deduce that this was not just simply a weather pattern that happened to arise. Now, I will tell you, the disciples were 
fishermen. They had been fishing all their life. They were probably pretty good at reading weather patterns. Fishermen have to be pretty good at doing that, right? And, and so they, there was probably no sign of a windstorm popping up. It could have happened uh, uh, just, just naturally. But I get the idea that this was not a natural weather pattern because I believe it was influenced by a demonic presence. Well, why would you say that? Because in the next paragraph, we can see what's on the other side. And what's on the other side, it says in Luke 8, 27, when he, Jesus, stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. And basically, he kept that whole countryside in um, conflict, in turmoil. Kept them all uh, uh, under subjection to terror and fright. And they did the best they can to contain this. So I think that this demonic presence knew Jesus was coming. And he didn't want Jesus there. And he didn't want the disciples there. And so what happened? Here comes this weather storm to do what? To prevent the word of God that Jesus gave, let's go to the other side, from taking place. Right? 1 Thessalonians 2.18 says, Therefore we wanted to come to you, Paul says, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. So this is why I say this wasn't, in my opinion, a normal storm. The enemy was aware that Jesus was coming over with his disciples, and he wanted to put a stop to Jesus' agenda. The thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. The storm was telling the disciples, you are not coming over here. You're not coming over here to do the will of God in this place. You are not going to fulfill the word of God that Jesus gave you. I'm not going to let it happen. What did the disciples say? The disciples basically said to Jesus what the storm was telling them. Listen to what I'm telling you. The disciples were telling Jesus what the enemy was telling them. You hear what I'm saying? What did they say to Jesus? We're perishing. What was the windstorm telling the disciples? You're going to die. What did Jesus, what did the disciples do? They finally woke Jesus up, and they didn't say, Jesus, we're on the other side, or Jesus, it doesn't matter. We're going to get, they said, Jesus, bad news. We're dying, and you're dying with us. <laughs> Remember, they're saying this to Jesus. And who is Jesus? He is the Word. He is the Word made flesh. When God speaks the Word, universes are created. Worlds are populated. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Galaxies are put in order. When God speaks the Word, something comes out of nothing. What Jesus did at this particular moment was he taught them what to do when you've been given a word. They were not to tell the Lord what the storm was saying, but they were to tell the storm what the Lord has said. Listen, this is the whole message in a, in a nutshell. 
when they woke Jesus up and they said, we're perishing, Jesus said, nope, wrong. Remember, this is, this is, you're going down a wrong path. Let me show you how to do it. You don't tell me what the storm says. You tell the storm what I said. And then he gives them a demonstration, right? And that's where we get our third point, the word of God in force. They woke him and said, Master, Master, we're perishing. He arose, and what did he do? He rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And then he turns to them, and he says to his disciples, where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Again, here we see that Jesus, when he was told the news by the disciples that the storm was standing in the way of the word, proceeds to command the obstacle to command the storm to cease and move out of the way. The Bible teaches us about the word of God, and it says that the word of God is powerful. Hebrews 4 and 12, for the word of the Lord is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now here's the thing, how do we bring the word of God to bear fruit in our lives? How do we sow and water the word so that it will bear fruit? Jesus tells us how to do it in Mark eleven twenty two through 24. Jesus answered and said to the disciples, have faith in God. Another translation, which I tend to like better, says have God-like faith. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, what is a mountain? Uh, it's a metaphor for a storm. It's a metaphor for a problem. It's a metaphor for an obstacle, a circumstance that's trying to keep you from accomplishing what God is wanting you to do. Whoever says to this mountain, what did Jesus do to the storm? He spoke to the storm and he said, get out of my way. Be silent and be still. And the storm came to nothing. Right? And so what is he saying? Whoever says to this mountain, this problem, this storm, be removed and cast into the sea and doesn't doubt in his heart but believes that the things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says, and in quotation marks, and continues to say. See, sometimes, I will tell you something, Jesus, who had perfect faith, can speak once. Many times we have to speak more than once. Because... We're getting to the place where we're learning, we're growing, we, you know, but it'd be nice to get to the place where you can speak only once, but hey, I'm not God. <laughs> now, everything he did is he did as a man, but he was a sinless man, never had the same issues and the problems that we have, but this is where he set the bar, right? So, until I get to that place, then I have to speak and continue to speak. I have to speak to the problem. Not speak the problem. Come on, people. Come on, people. Let's be serious, right? Now, listen, I always get in trouble when I do male and female stuff. But listen, ladies have to talk about stuff. That's not wrong, right? But if you're not careful... You just talk about everything that you're feeling, and sometimes when you're going through a problem, it's like all I can do is talk about the problem, talk about the problem, talk about the problem. You have to learn how to talk about the solution. Now, women are not the only ones that do that. Men do that too. I, got around some, I get around some guys, and man, you talk about, I need to get away from this guy. 
So my wife says, how come you don't talk very much? Because one of the first scriptures I ever learned was this. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Now listen, I had something favorable going with me. I'm not a big talker anyway, right? But I figured, hey, man, I can use that to my advantage, right? And there are times when I do talk, and sometimes I, I regret it. Because if we're not careful, instead of speaking the word, we speak the problem, Right? And what is the scripture in Proverbs that says, uh, death and life are in the power of the tongue? And he, uh, how does the rest of it go? Yeah, but there's, there's the second part to it. Yeah, he is, not, he is uh, not wise or he is wise who eats his fur, something like that. Anyway, um, we have to be careful what we speak. Remember, Jesus is teaching a, um, he's doing a, a real-life example. He's teaching the disciples what to do. They came to him preaching the problem. Jesus got up and spoke to the problem and said, you don't speak the problem, you speak the word. Now, Jesus said to the storm to be still, and we can do that. But what do we say to the storm? Well, he also taught us when he was being tempted, the word, it is written, right? So what could the disciples have done? If the storm was coming, this is what they're learning. And, you know, there's time to learn. Jesus didn't expect, that's why he was teaching them. You know, but the reality is the next time a storm came up that was trying to keep them from doing what it is that, 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 that Jesus sent them to do, they could get up and say, the word said, Jesus said, we're going to the other side. Get out of my way. Right? And the storm says, hey, hey, I ain't get out of your way. Nah, I'm not going to. And we go, the storm didn't do what I wanted it to do. Ooh, woe is me. Is that what you do? Maybe the first time. But then you learn. No, wait, the word of God says this. So what do I do? I got to get up and say, storm, it is written. This is what the Lord has said. He said for me to go to the other side. So get out of my way. And the storm keeps blowing. And you get up again, and you speak to the storm, and the storm keeps blowing, and you get up again. But remember, the Bible says in James 4 and 7, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. But you've got to have perseverance. Remember? Perseverance. You've got to continue to persevere. You've got to be like a bulldog on a bone. This is what Jesus said and I'm not letting go. And I'm not going to stop until you move. Now, how long does it take for it to move? I don't know. All I know is I've got to continue to trust and believe that what God said is true. I know with Naaman, the word came forth, you need to dip seven times. Right? You dip once, nothing. Dip twice, nothing. How many of us would have quit there? In this particular case, with Naaman's case, he was told seven times. But we don't always get told. We just have to do. How often do we do? Until we see the manifestation of it. Elijah went up on the mountaintop and he prayed after he got the revelation that it was going to start raining. He prayed once, no rain. He prayed twice, no rain. What do you think he was praying? Well, after learning and growing and reading this passage, I think he was bowing down and he was saying, the Lord said, rain come. Go up there on the mountain, see if the rain's coming yet. And then he come back down. There's no rain. The Lord said, rain come. Lord, you told me there was rain. I believe there's rain. And so I speak to the skies and I say, rain, you will come. Go up there and see if there's any rain. How many times do you have to do that? Seven times. 
And then on the seventh time, he saw a cloud, uh, you know, in the distance as big as a man's hand. Kind of like that, that lake, you know. It was only that big. But that lake ended up being five miles across. Probably a pretty big storm. I mean, it was growing. He said, let's go, because God's doing it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. How do you know you've believed? Depends on what you do. Right? You quit. You stop. You forget about it. You put it on hold. Whether you believe or not is revealed by what you do. So in our text, Jesus was teaching the disciples how to fight with the work. But there was one more thing the disciples needed to understand about the process, which I just got through telling you about, but I'll go ahead and go through it and reiterate it again. Jesus spoke to the storm and the storm subsided. That's the principal truth. But sometimes when we do that, there's a refusal to obey by the circumstances or obstacles that we face. What we do in the situation determines the outcome of the situation. Luke 8, 15, the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with perseverance. Now remind me, and we're, we're almost done, of a passage in Matthew 17, 14 through 20. Jesus had gone up on the mountain and taken Peter, Paul, Ringo, and John, the Fab Four. <laughs> and uh, when he was up there, the rest of the disciples were down there. And when Jesus had come back to the multitude, man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. The child was cured from that very hour. And the disciples came to Jesus and privately and say, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So in this passage, the apostles have been given authority by Jesus to cast out devils and have had been having success. Because it says in Matthew 10 and 1, when he called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. And they, they were having success. These same disciples who had had success doing what Jesus authorized them to do were now being resisted by, let's just say it, just make it easy for us to understand, a more stubborn devil. Maybe it was a more higher ranking devil. I don't know. All I know is that before, they said, come out, and they came out. Yay! They came out, and they came out. Yay! This time they say, come out, and he says, no. See, this one didn't bow to their authority immediately like the others had done. And so they reasoned in their mind. They came to the errant conclusion that they could not do what Jesus, the Word, said they could. Are you getting this? And that's what the enemy wants us to believe. See, the only, the only power he has is the power of deceit. And it, it's all based on a lie. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So if he can get us to believe that we don't have power in this situation, then if we believe that, we're going to quit. We're going to stop. 
we're going to uh, uh, put a halt to what we're doing because we can't do it. It doesn't matter what Jesus said, but see, we never think, well, wait a minute, we're saying that Jesus, what Jesus said can't be done. But remember, we, we don't think that, but what you really believe is evidenced by what you do. Right? So, instead of speaking the word, okay, so they allowed the resistance to determine their outcomes instead of faith in the word of God. Instead of speaking the word to the enemy and speaking the word to the enemy and again speaking the word to the enemy, they were now, when Jesus came down off the mountain, repeating to Jesus what the enemy was saying. Isn't that at times the substance of our prayers? God, why isn't this happening like you said it would? And as I said before, the Bible says in James 4 and 7, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will. But remember, we're an instantaneous society. I did, he didn't. I did, he didn't. But that's not how it works. I did, he didn't. So I did it again, he didn't. So I did it again, he did. He will flee. It's like a wrestling match. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? You're going to win as long as you don't quit. As long as you don't be, believe the lie. The enemy wants you to believe that he's, he doesn't have to or he's not going to. No, Jesus said it. He will move. Not because I have strength. Not because in myself or authority in myself. It's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. But because the word of God, the word of God that is powerful and, and without equal, the word of God says it. And I want you to know that when God says it, I believe it. It shall be done. And the enemy needs to know that you believe that and you will not quit. And then when he understands, he will flee. But it's not you that he fears. It's the God in you. And who lives in you? The Word. Jesus. The Spirit of God. That's why he didn't want Jesus to show up to the other side of the lake. Because he knew when Jesus got to the other side of the lake, he was done. And that's why he don't want you to carry out the Word of God in your life. Because when we start doing what Jesus said for us to do, the enemy is done. He's a defeated foe, but he acts like he's not. And unfortunately, we believe the act. It's kind of uh, kind of like these people from Hollywood. You, when you see them in the movies, you're like, man, these people are awesome. And then you would see them in real life, you say, man, what a dirtbag. I don't want to get to know that guy. They act so strong and, and tough, and then when you see them, and now some of them are the same, you know, but most of them are like, they're nothing like what you see in, in movies because it's an act. And that's what the devil does. Now, he's, he, I'm not saying that he's powerless. The enemy does have power, but his power doesn't compare to the power that God has given you. You understand? God trumps the enemy. Always. It's never. God, in, in, he could just do that, and the enemy would be squashed for all eternity. Why doesn't he do that? Because he's raising up a people that will do that. 
I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by an enemy's army. Do you believe that? Yes, yes, I do. Now, when you're in the battle, and the mountain, and the windstorm, and the crisis, and the circumstances say no, that's when we know what we really believe. Are we going to continue to stand? Are we going to continue to speak the word to the problem? Or are we going to fall pray to what we often do and begin to speak the problem to the word? I want to learn from my mistakes. I want us to learn from our mistakes. I want us to really grasp what God says in his word. I want us to understand that it's the word that's powerful, but the word must be wielded like a sword, but the sword is wielded through our mouths. It is written. It is written. It is written. Sometimes this kind, he didn't say all, but this kind, so in other words, Jesus is telling the disciples, yeah, this one's a little more stubborn than the other ones. Resist a little more, and a lot more than the last ones, but the Word of God hasn't changed. It only requires faith to persist long enough for you to see that the Word of God proves true and for you to reap a harvest 30, 60, and 100-fold.